Hey everybody, Chris Peters here and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 90 of the podcast. Real excited to have you all here to uh, get ready for back to school. Uh, you know, my kids, I sent them off to school this morning and we got a lot to talk about because college classes are beginning. The college hockey season is not that far away. We've got college football starting up soon, which is a great sign that hockey season is almost here on the college ranks. We've already got preseason games going on in junior hockey across the United States and Canada. Uh, summer hockey's wrapping up now, and we're going to get those NHL training camps and everything. So everything's going to be happening very, very soon. Uh, which is obviously very exciting. The summer, this summer felt like it went really fast because there's been a lot of different things with with the draft. And of course, we go right into the prospect season with the Holinka Gretzky Cup and the World Junior Summer Showcase. There's really no more breathing room anymore. We just get right into it. So that's what we're going to do, do today. We're going to continue this conversation we've been having in the last few weeks and, and start adding in some more elements. We're going to talk a little bit about the 2024 NHL draft based on some of the questions I got from listeners today. Uh, talk a little bit about what's coming up on Flow Hockey this season. We talked about a bit about it last week. want to give you some more details about kind of things that are happening because there is so much that is going to be available to Flow Hockey subscribers this year that want to make sure that you're taking full advantage of that as a hockey fan. And then also, uh, you know, we're going to spend some time on college hockey, as I mentioned, and specifically these incoming freshman classes, because I think that that's one of the most fascinating elements of any college season is the new blood that comes in and the guys that are going to be taking the college ranks by storm. We saw last season two freshmen were in the Hobie hat trick finalists and Adam Fantilli and Logan Cooley, both of them one and done players. They have moved on, but we will talk about the guys that are going to be coming in to replace players like Fantilli and Cooley here as we talk a little bit about some of the top recruiting classes across the country. Well, we've got a lot of very interesting topics to get into, but before we do that, I do want to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast on your audio podcast uh, apps of choice. You can also watch us on YouTube. You can also watch on flowhockey.tv or the Flow Sports app. Watch us on your TV, on your computer, on your phone, wherever you want to. We are available to you very many ways. And also, if you are on any of those podcast apps, go ahead and throw us a kind rating and review so that we can uh, continue to get the word out about this podcast. Not a lot of hockey podcasts are running in the summer, uh, but we are going even on an abbreviated schedule. And so uh, hopefully we're providing some uh, hockey in this otherwise hockey desert uh, of a time period. It really seems like late August and into early September is when things are a little quieter, but they're really about to ramp up very soon. So it's back to school time. College campuses everywhere are starting their classes. They're getting going. And that means the new freshmen are there. And that also means that college hockey programs are welcoming their freshman classes to campus or their, their you know, their new, their new recruits the guys that they spent a lot of time waiting for and looking forward to. And we're going to focus on some of the top recruiting classes because I really do think that this has been a year where there are some really special classes. And it seems like, at least at this early stage, many of them, or at least the top two that we're going to talk about to start things off, are on the East Coast and they are in the city of Boston. Boy, what a resurgence it should be for the Boston College Eagles and Boston University has to be feeling very good about their chances of taking things even a step further this year after reaching the Frozen Four last season. 
But we're going to start it off with Boston College. I really do think that this is the number one recruiting class in the country because they brought in one of the best lines we've ever seen in junior hockey, Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, Gabe Perot. You can put those three guys on your line. You've already got Cutter Gauthier to lead your offense, but now you've got this group of players that you expect to be able to produce immediately coming in with built-in chemistry and guys that produce at an extremely high level. All three at the National Under-18 team last year, all three gold medalists at the World Under-18 Championship. Will Smith nearly set a record for points there with 20 in the tournament. Ryan Leonard scored the game-winning goal, and then Gabe Perot set the all-time single-season record for points scored at the NTDP with 132 last year for the under-18 team. That is just three forwards, and that doesn't even cover the entire class. They also bring in Jacob Fowler from the Youngstown Phantoms. Fowler was the USHL goaltender of the year, the uh, USHL Clark Cup playoffs MVP, won the Clark Cup, won the World Junior A Challenge with Team USA earlier in the fall, and he was USA Hockey's goalie of the year. That's who you get to come in to be your number one goaltender. He's a candidate to play for the U.S. National Junior Team this year, and he is a very accomplished goalie. He was previously committed to Clarkson. Things kind of snowballed for him, and a lot of teams started getting more interested, and then the opportunity at Boston College opened up. He's a Florida native, so not necessarily the, the local connection, uh, and he is now a Boston, uh, you know, Boston College Eagle and a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. And the other three guys that we mentioned, Will Smith, number four overall pick for the San Jose Sharks, Ryan Leonard, to first-rounder to the Washington Capitals, and Gabe Perot, first-rounder to the New York Rangers. So you got three first-rounders on a line. You've got a goaltender, one of the top goalies selected in the last draft, in Fowler by the Montreal Canadiens. And then you've also got some new blood on the back end as well. You've got guys like uh, Drew Fortescue, drafted by the New York Rangers. Uh, Aaron Manishin, another guy that had a tremendous year uh, at, at the at National Team Development Program, a highly productive player, um, going to be interested there. They also have Will Vogt, who is coming over from the NTDP. So they have a significant chunk of players from last year's U.S. under-18 team that are coming in to support a team that already has a, a number of high-end players. But when you add those guys, we're talking about a major impact and a potential program-changing class. Now, we'll have to see how long the guys like Will Smith and Gabe Perot and Ryan Leonard will be there. We expect that this is probably Cutter Goche's last year in college. He's a sophomore. You know, the Philadelphia Flyers were already interested in signing him. They're going to sign him probably at the end of this season. He's going to have a big World Junior Championship. I think he's going to have a tremendous college season. And teams are going to have such a hard time matching up against Boston College because it's like, all right, we got to stop uh, Gutter Goche, and then we've got to stop this, you know, this big line of, of, of freshmen that have this built-in chemistry. And you got a guy like Ryan Leonard who plays a, a more physical style but highly skilled, a two tremendous, like elite, elite playmakers in Will Smith and Gabe Perot. Those are the guys that are going to be driving things for Boston College. So, you know, Greg Brown has a chance to really make a stamp, uh, make his stamp with this team. With the group that they have now, they have to feel like their contention window is open, even though they're going to be very young next year. Um, they have to feel like they have a chance to really get back into the national conversation and be a team that is going to go on a bit of a run here. But if they're going to do it, they're going to have a big challenge ahead 
And that is in the form of the Boston University Ter Terriers. The Battle of Com Ave is going to be fierce this year. It is also going to be a place where there is a lot of focus from NHL scouts. Boston University probably landed the guy that I think is the number one recruit coming in throughout the entire country, and that is Macklin Celebrini. USHL Forward of the Year, USHL Rookie of the Year, and USHL Player of the Year all in one. And he played for the Chicago Steel last year. Set the record for most points by an under-17 player. He's accelerated, so he's going to be young. He's expected to be the number one pick. One caveat to Celebrini joining the Terriers this year. It sounds like he is going to be um, on the shelf at the beginning of the season. We don't know yet. He did have off-season surgery. We don't know if he'll be ready to go in time to play for Boston University at the start of their season. We do have uh, one of their early games this season, October 7th, against Bentley on Flow Hockey. We don't know if we'll see Macklin Celebrini, who we were able to watch on Flow all last year, um, as he just torched the USHL. But that's a significant player in the, in the mix for BU that is going to make a significant difference for that program. But it's not just Celebrini. You also are bringing in Tom Willander, a top pick and one of the top defensemen selected in the NHL draft, Vancouver Canucks prospect, highly, highly mobile defenseman, decent offensively, not a, you know, not going to score a ton of points, I don't think, but a high-end defender and a guy that you're probably going to have for a year or two, maybe even three as he continues to develop um, and, and round out his game. It's going to be his first season in North America. Played in Sweden last year, played at the U-20 ranks. He was a great defenseman for them at the Under-18 World Championship. Very nearly beat uh, you know, Will Smith and, and Ryan Leonard and, and Gabe Perot. And if you think there's any more fuel that, that Boston University needed, apparently uh, not because obviously Will Anders going to be looking for some revenge on, uh, on those guys, uh, maybe in the bean pot or uh, in the Hockey East playoffs or something like that. Beyond those those guys, there's there's a number of, of players with significant uh, USHL experience that are going to be interesting to kind of watch as they as they transition in to here. And I think Shane Lachance is a guy who is you know is an Edmonton Oilers draft pick. He was uh, a central figure for the Youngstown Phantoms last year in their run to the Clark Cup playoffs. He's a big human. I mean, that is you know having size up front can really help. He's a guy that will come in ready to make an impact on this team in a physical way. Um, you know, Jack Harvey, who had a very productive season uh, for the Chicago Steel, another guy that you know was coming in and and could make a pretty significant impact um, going forward. And and so there's there's more than that as well. I mean, they have a number of young players coming in, um, and, and you look at what they already have, and having Lane Hudson, who's one of the top returning defensemen for. The entire NCAA, a guy that I think could be in the hunt for the Hobie Baker. You add a Macklin Celebrini, you act, add a Tom Willander to that mix. You know that's going to be a much better situation for the Terriers. I think there are going to be some questions they're going to still have to answer on the goaltending front. They lose Drew Camesso from last year's team. They got to try and replace that. I don't think that they have. You know that's a that's a difference between them and BC is that you know I think the goaltending uh, that that is being brought in right now by BC and Jacob Fowler. That's a, a significant piece. They've got guys in every position. But having two cornerstone players like Celebrini and and Willander and then having some guys that are going to come in a little more ready, guys that played extra years of junior hockey like Lachance, 
that's really going to give you a, a great opportunity to have a really strong team. Um, and I think BU is going to have a really talented group and they're going to have some some fifth year seniors on their team as well some guys that are taking that extra covid year they came close last year they want to go all the way um you know getting bounced by the university of minnesota in the semifinals that's a team that has to have a lot of belief i think those two classes are far and away the best but there are a number of other teams that I, that i wanted to mention in this process because i think you look at Minnesota is going to have an interesting situation. They've got to replace Logan Cooley and Matt Nyes. That's significant in terms of what they have to replace offensively. I think it's more significant, however, what they have to replace on the back end. No Brock Faber, no Jackson Lacombe, no Ryan Johnson. You know, that's it puts a lot of strain on guys like Mike Kester and others that are going to have to be the, the veterans there. Coming in this season, you're going to have Sam Renzel who played for the Waterloo Blackhawks. He's a first-round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. He's going to have to be a guy that steps in and makes a pretty immediate impact. He played an extra year of junior hockey to prepare for this opportunity to play uh, for, for the University of Minnesota. He had to finish up his schooling, goes to Waterloo, and I thought he had a really good season, and he developed. He was decent at, in stretches at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He's got a chance to make that World Junior team he has to step up and be an impact player for Minnesota. Um, you know, and then on top of that, they also have Oliver Moore. Um, and Oliver Moore is coming into a situation where he would have probably been a number two center, uh, maybe a number three center in it in the initial year, especially with Logan Cooley there. Cooley signs late with Arizona. That creates an opportunity for Oliver Moore to potentially play a bigger role more immediately. They still have Jimmy Snuggerud, who's returning to the team this year. Significant piece for their offensive attack. They need somebody that can, can keep up with him and also that can get him the puck. Um, Oliver Moore is going to have to prove that he can be a bit more of a play-driving center. Um, that's the question that we're going to have about him going forward. But I, I do think that that's, he's going to play a significant role. Um, you know, they have other players coming in. Jimmy Clark uh, is going to be added. Uh, our own Ryan Sykes broke the story that Jimmy Clark will be coming in a year earlier than expected. Played for the Green Bay Gamblers last year. He's a Minnesota Wild draft pick. Highly energetic player. Had a really good USHL season last year. You know, is that going to be enough? You know, he's not coming in to replace Logan Cooley one for one. I'll tell you that much. But he is going to be a guy that's going to provide um, some depth for them. And then they have a number of, of players that did decide to, to come back for an additional season, like Bryce Brodzinski, Brodzinski like Jackson Nelson. Um, and then, you know, mentioning guys like Kester and, and they have Pitlick. And they have a number of players that will be able to fill some of the gaps, but they're going to need these freshman guys to step up. Um, they don't have a deep freshman class, but they have a, a good top end with Renzel and more. A couple other classes to talk about. I think one of the more intriguing and interesting classes, and this is both when you talk about including the freshmen they've added and the transfers that they've added, Michigan State is in a great position to make some noise this year. I think that of the Big Ten teams, they have one of the most intriguing recruiting classes. I think it's one of the deeper recruiting classes as well. And they've got some significant pieces, especially on the back end and at the goaltending position, that are going to make them take those steps under Adam Nightingale. We started to see them take last year, but now they're going to have even more high-end personnel. 
And that includes transfers like Red Savage, who played at the uh, at Miami University, Detroit Red Wings prospect, and Isaac Howard, a first round draft pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's coming in, and those are that you know Red Savage is an all around player. Isaac Howard is a dynamic offensive talent, but you need to supplement that with a really strong recruiting class, and that is what Michigan has. The big splash came very late in the process. We've talked about it on here before. Artem Levshunov, who played for the Green Bay Gamblers last year, was one of the best rookie defensemen that we've seen in the USHL, period. I mean, you you go back to Owen Power, you go back to guys that, that got picked in the first round, like like Jaden Schwartz or J- Jordan Schmaltz, rather. Um, you know, guys that, that had success, he had as much or more than those guys uh, actually outproduced Owen Power in his draft minus two season or draft minus one season. Um, and now he's going to Michigan State. We've actually got a question about Levshunov later that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about his transition from junior to college hockey. But that is a significant piece. And they already had a really good defenseman in second round draft pick, Maxime Sturback from the Sioux Falls Stampede. When we saw him internationally last year, playing at the World Juniors, playing at the World Under-18s, he played some of his best hockey on the biggest stages, and now he's going to have an opportunity to do that at the collegiate level. He's a mature defender. He's got some offensive capabilities. He's going to be able to play a two-way game. There should be a little bit of a transition, but that's going to be an important piece for them. They also have some of these guys that are kind of secondary prospects, a Tommy Manisto, who they got from Finland. We just saw him at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He can absolutely fly. He can absolutely score. Um, you know, is he going to be able to do that at the collegiate level? He didn't have big numbers in Finland, but you know, in terms of his physical tools and his capabilities, that could be important for him. Owen Baker, who's a veteran NHL player coming in after a couple good years, provide some secondary pieces. But I think the guy that's really, really important to whatever Michigan State is going to do this year is Trey Augustine, Detroit Red Wings draft pick, probably Team USA starting goalie at the World Junior Championship. That was a significant recruitment addition for Adam Nightingale, who did coach Augustine as an underager at last year's, uh, two years ago at the World Under-18 Championship, where USA fell just short against Sweden. Augustine gets his revenge this last year. He was probably the single biggest reason USA won a gold medal. Uh, They did not play well in the gold medal game. And he kept them in that game the whole way and probably stole them that game just as the year before the Swedish goalie uh, Hugo Havilland stole the game from USA. We felt like, you know, Trey Augustine stepped up in that big way. He's a big game goaltender. He's calm. He's cool. He's mature. He's got great hockey sense. He's uh, got good technique. Um, He's just prepared. And I think that that's going to be a big factor. And Michigan State, to me, is going to be one of the most uh, intriguing groups to watch throughout this season. A couple others that I did want to mention as well, and this isn't necessarily the ranking. We'll talk about recruiting classes. We'll dive in a little bit further, but this is these are the ones that I think are notable. Um, a big recruiting class this year for UMass. I think we're starting to see the fruits of the of, of winning national championships, of, of, a, of getting a Kale McCarr you know, into your program, getting a Mario Ferraro into your program, and, and watching those guys flourish into NHL players. Greg Carvel is now getting these, these really interesting pieces to their team, and they're coming from all over. They're, they've, they've really expanded their recruiting footprint to get more international players to, you know, and they did have some international players um, in, in some of their years of, of, of their most competitiveness and obviously being a national champion right after Kale McCarr leaves. But 
This year, I think, you know, one of the guys who might be one of the most underrated freshmen coming into college hockey this year is a Boston Bruins draft pick by the name of Dan Mellis. And he is a really interesting player, Latvian. Um, he is, uh, he's played at the U20 level. He has played at the world championship level for, for, for Latvia. And he's played, you know, significant European under 20 hockey throughout his career. That is a guy that I think comes in with a lot of experience that is going to help him be an instant impact player at UMass. That is one to watch for sure. Michael Harabel, the goaltender from the Omaha Lancers, he was supposed to go back to the USHL last year. UMass had a spot open up. He's coming in now. So now you need that's a guy you need to make sure is getting some reps. Um, also, Jackson Irving, who is an experienced USHL goaltender, was another guy that they had in the mix there. Adar Suniev, who had a tremendously productive season in the BCHL. He got drafted. He is, he's got size. He's got scoring ability. Nick Van Tassel, had a, another guy that got drafted in the NHL, um, played for the Green Bay Gamblers. Really interesting uh, opportunity there for, for UMass. Also in Hockey East, I think Maine under head coach Ben Barr is about to bring in one of the best recruiting classes they've had. Now, a lot of that hinges on something that is yet to be finalized, and that is whether or not Artem Duda will become eligible to play for the University of Maine this year. I don't know how it's going to happen. We still haven't gotten word. He is not currently listed on the main roster as we record this podcast. But if they do get Duda eligible, and again, it's going to be difficult, but if they do, that is a game-changing defenseman. Highly mobile, really good offensively. He's an Arizona Coyotes draft pick. Um, and one of the reasons why we're so intrigued by whether or not this is going to happen is because he did play in the KHL, which is, as we know, a professional league. Is there a way to recoup some eligibility? I don't know, but we're going to find out. But even if Duda doesn't play for them, they still have uh, the the Nobro, the no, Nado brothers from the Penticton Vs last year, Bradley and Joshua, Two incredibly explosive offensive players. Nadeau was a first round, Bradley was a, a first round draft pick of the Carolina Hurricanes. They're not big guys, but they are absolutely dynamic. And I think that Nadeau could be, uh, both of them could be a significant impact freshman duo for Maine. And so that is a, a very important team as well. Couple of the others that I'm looking at, you know, I think Wisconsin's got a, a, a nice recruiting class under Mike Hastings. They didn't lose a lot of guys after Tony Granado was fired, um, and so they were able to maintain and add to their recruiting class. They also added significant transfers. Three guys coming over from Minnesota State that are going to be, I think, really significant players, including Christian Fitzgerald, who I thought was one of the best freshmen in the CCHA last season. Um, I think he'll be his skill set, his size. That's going to instantly translate as a sophomore. But they've got, you know, big Brady Cleveland and Zachary Schultz, two guys that played for that under-18 team for a gold medal. Owen Mellenbacher, who had a really strong USHL season, a, a Detroit Red Wings draft pick. William Whitelaw, who was a, a dynamic player in the USHL last year and one of the most critical players to the Youngstown Phantoms championship run. Also had a great showing at the World Junior Summer Showcase. Should be an impact freshman for Wisconsin. And then Quinn Finley coming in after a pretty strong USHL career where he you know, won some championships and had an opportunity to play um, late into the season there and play in, in high leverage situations. That's a good group to have. Um, I like Notre Dame's recruiting class as well. Danny Nelson, Cole Knubel up front, two guys I think should be instant impact players. Um, and then, you know, on the back end, they've got Paul Fisher, uh, who is, uh, you know, a stout defenseman. He's a Notre Dame style player, uh, was a big piece of that under 18 team at the world, world under 18s last year. And then, you know, he have some 
more skill or in some gritty guys. You got Carter Slager coming in to bring some of that grit factor. You got Maddox Fleming who has skill and scoring ability. Um, you know, pretty good there. And then out west, uh, just to to show a little respect to to them as well. Colorado College and Denver are two teams that I think, while they don't have incredibly deep or dynamic classes, they have kind of solved a lot of their to you know complement what they already had. So I think CC is a program on the rise. Denver is obviously always a perennial contender, um, and we'll we'll kind of see there. I, I think for Denver, they'll also have a very intriguing draft prospect in Zeev Booyam, who is uh, a, a dynamic offensive defenseman and kind of fits into that same mold of guys that they've had at Denver over the years, guys like Will Butcher and, and, and Michael Benning and, you know, different players like that that have been pretty important players for them. They have one right now in Sean Barron's as well. So uh, keep an eye on that. Their blue line is going to have some really nice young pieces. Garrett Brown, Winnipeg Jets prospect, Boston Buckberger, who had a really strong season um, in the USHL. So those are just some to mention. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely be diving in before the college season uh, gets going. And we will talk more about these recruiting classes. But I am so excited about this freshman class. You know, obviously watching Celebrini and Lev Shunov in their draft seasons. Uh, you know, Zeev Booyam is, is going to be in his draft season. A lot of guys that that were recent first round draft picks. Um, you know, there, there's so much excitement about this college hockey season. I feel like it's a very wide open race as well to the national championship. Will it be a team that has a more senior group? Will it be a team that has you know, the, the dynamic freshman class, you never really know. And that's what makes college hockey so fun. All right. We're going to get to questions and answers in just a second. But before we do that, I did want to talk a little bit more about something we mentioned last week. If you are familiar with amateur hockey at all in any way, you have almost certainly watched games on hockey TV. Well, as you may have heard, Hockey TV is now part of Flow Hockey, and Flow Hockey is where you will now find all of the great games that you were watching on Hockey TV previously, with a few exceptions of of different partners and things like that. But we're talking ECHL and USHL, which you already had on Flow Hockey, CCHA, Atlantic Hockey, the College Hockey America. We're going to have more this year. Um, And so if you are a Flow Hockey subscriber, or if you aren't yet, Uh, If you already are, your subscription just got a heck of a lot more valuable. If you're not a subscriber yet, there is a great reason to sign up. We've got all those leagues I mentioned, but we also have a wide array of junior hockey. So in addition now to the USHL, you'll also find the BCHL, the entire CJHL. So things like the leagues like the AJHL, the OJHL, MHL, you know, there are a lot of junior leagues across the North America, which you will now find here, the USPHL. Uh, you know, NCDC, uh, Elite, Premier, we've got all of that as well. And then we've also got a wide array of minor hockey, Hockey Alberta, leagues in Quebec, leagues in Ontario. We've got it so much stuff. It, there's more than you could ever possibly have time to watch. But that just goes to show you the commitment that that Flow Sports has made to the sport of hockey. They were smart when they said, we want to, to be partnered and, and have a piece of hockey tech and hockey TV. They bring that over, and now we have one of the most diverse groups of leagues and rights anywhere in the hockey landscape. We also, if you go on to flowhockey.tv right now, you're going to see a new navigation bar, which is going to allow you to go through leagues 
and see the data and see the games and see the highlights and see the news about those leagues drilled down. So make sure you click around up there, find the league that you're most passionate about, find out all the different things that you can get just on Flow Hockey alone. We want to be the essential destination for hockey beneath the NHL. We feel like we're doing it. We're going to have great draft coverage this year. We're going to have great college hockey coverage this year, unrivaled junior hockey coverage. We're going to have it all for you on flowhockey.tv. If it's in the sport, if it's happening, if it's beneath the NHL, uh, if it's related to the NHL in terms of prospects, we are going to have something for you. So make sure you check it out. And if you have not yet switched over, if you were a Hockey TV subscriber and you have not yet claimed your Flow Hockey account, make sure you do that. You can still go to Hockey TV to get that link and, and claim your account. And if you continue to have issues, you can always reach out to Flow Sports Customer Support or Flow or your Hockey TV customer support as well. Um, and that's great. We've got a great group. Uh, really excited to be working with the people that were you know, hockey tech, and it is now all flow sports. Uh, really excited about it. So make sure you are signed in, signed up. We have so much stuff for the rest of the season. Cannot wait. I think the annual subscription is the way to go with all the hockey you're going to have available. Um, I spend a lot of my weekends just skipping around different games. Um, it's very easy to do that on our, our apps, on on Roku, on Fire TV, um, and on the various uh, smart apps. So make sure you get to that. All right. Whew. There's a lot to get to. I'm really excited about the season, as you can probably tell. There's just a lot going on. And it's been a little bit crazy around here as we get ready to bring you some of these leagues. But we're going to talk and continue this theme of NCAA, and then we're going to move into the, the 2024 NHL draft as we do every single episode. We will have draft questions every time because from now until June, we want to make sure that you are absolutely ready for the NHL draft. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But we're going to start with NCAA questions, men's hockey questions, and this one comes to us from Scott who asks, obviously the past two years at Wisconsin have been dismal. What classifies as a good year for Mike Hastings in his first year as the Badgers head coach? Well, you know, I, I'm going to be very interested to hear in the end what Mike Hastings feels is success for him. This is a guy who has not had a losing season as a head coach ever. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, but, you know, you look at 20 plus years of coaching and never a losing season. So I'm guessing for Mike Hastings, it can't be a losing season. But I think if you're a Wisconsin Badgers fan, you want more than that. So what is a successful season for the Wisconsin Badgers this year? I think the very first thing is that it is reestablished as a destination for top-tier talent. Um, I don't think that that reputation ever went away, but I do think that it was getting harder for them to secure the elite players in recruiting. That isn't going to be as big of a problem, I don't think, under Mike Hastings. And I, I think part of it is because even though he's coming from Minnesota State, where they recruited a different kind of athlete to play for Minnesota State, they they typically would go older players. And I think you're going to see a hybrid now that he's at, at Wisconsin because you can't go all in one way or all in the other way, um, and especially not when you're at Wisconsin, when you can attract elite-level players. I think his track record of development is probably one of the biggest selling points here. Um, and also the track record of winning. 
I think that really speaks to the team. Uh, it's going to speak to players. They, if they want to compete for national championships, if they want to compete at the highest level, they can do it with Mike Hastings. This is a guy that has experience as a head coach for many years. He's done it at the collegiate level, and he's done it with fewer resources than he's going to have at Wisconsin, which creates an interesting challenge. I also think that they made some significant additions through the transfer portal through guys that he already knew, um, bringing in you know players from his team. <coughs> excuse me, bringing players from his team. Um, you know, especially like a guy like Christian Fitzgerald and and, and others. You know that that is going to make them instantly better. Those guys aren't going to have a lot of learning curve with Mike Hastings. Uh, I think bringing more out of Charlie Stramel. His freshman season was, by his own standards, I think disappointing in terms of his ability to produce and everything else that he was able to impact the game. I think a guy like Mike Hastings is going to get all of the best parts of Charlie Stramel's game out of him again. Um, It's continuing to bring along this freshman class and to make these guys, these two to three to four-year players that are going to be foundational pieces for this program going forward. So this is a building year, but I still think it's a year where they can be competitive. Um, can they win the Big Ten? I don't necessarily think so, but I do think it's wide open this year. I mean, I think Minnesota has had some significant losses. Michigan suffered some significant losses to their team. You know, Michigan State is a team on the rise. Ohio State is going to be, you know, they, they lost some of their most critical players from last year's team. You know, so there are a number of things that are going to change. So I do think that Wisconsin has the ability to compete right away. But I think being in the top half of the Big Ten is both realistic and maybe should happen. I think the coaching change should help. It's going to probably be reliant on goaltending. But I do think that the the Wisconsin Badgers are poised for a much better season this year, and they're going to be on a different path. Um, I think that, you know, under with all the enthusiasm that came in when Tony Granato started, and I think you also have to appreciate the grace with which he has handled this situation. Um, he clearly loves the University of Wisconsin, and I'm sure it, it hurts a lot to not be involved anymore, but he's provided, you know, support and, 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 and kind words and, and, you know, for, for Hastings, for the players that are there, he wants to see them succeed. Um, but, you know, I think that over these last couple of years, you started to lose where, what is the vision of the program? What is the direction of the program? Mike Hastings is going to reestablish that direction, I think, in year one. Um, and that's going to be what ultimately defines success. Did they get themselves on that path? going forward. So great question. Hard to, and, and probably a too long answer, but I am absolutely excited to see what happens at Wisconsin this year. And by the way, Big Ten, could you get a schedule out yet? <laughs> We'd love to see one. We love. We have not seen a conference schedule yet. It's, it's uh, August 23rd as I record this. So uh, let's uh, chop chop. Maybe it's out by the time I, by the time I publish this and then I'll feel bad. Anyway, we're going to move on to our next question. This is a, a bit of a general NCAA question and a good one from Avco Cup. Why are there no NCAA hockey programs in the Pacific Northwest? You know, a great question, especially since, you know, we, we thought there may have been a gap, you know, that, that existed. We already knew that the gap existed, but there were teams and there are teams in Alaska. You can watch the Alaska Fairbanks Nanix on, on flow hockey. And you got Alaska Anchorage out there as well. Um, obviously those are, you know, for lack of a better term on an Island, Alaska itself, not an Island, but you know, on an Island with the, um, with the situation that they're, that they're in being so far away from everything. 
Um, but I also think that it's important to note the progression of college hockey. It really started as an Eastern uh, sport, you know, early on in the very early stages of college hockey. You know, the, the Ivies started, you know, we talked about Cornell and Yale being among the first programs that got started. And, you know, it, it continually moved westward. And obviously, you know, I think Upper Peninsula of Michigan became a, a hot spot for the early days of college hockey and also the early days of, of American professional hockey. Um, and Minnesota obviously became more involved. But you have to think, even Minnesota, we didn't have Minnesota State for for many years. We didn't have St. Cloud State for many years. You know, Herb Brooks was essentially the godfather of, of St. Cloud State and, and spearheaded the growth of college hockey in, Mich- in Minnesota. Now we have St. Thomas as a Division I school. We're starting to move into South Dakota with Augustana. The, they're having their first season this year. Um, so, you know, there is there is growth that has happened, but it's happened very gradually. Colorado College and Denver also were two of the very early programs that, you know, played in the early days of college hockey and have had programs for years and years. But I think that those, it's hard to understand, you know, where hockey grew, but you also have to look at the NHL as well. You know, they didn't have a Pacific Northwest presence beyond the Vancouver Canucks for many years. Now they have the Seattle Kraken. Um, you know, they, they, they have more teams in California hockey, just what I, I think that the expansion, the westward expansion of the NHL is what has helped grow hockey throughout the United States, but it, college hockey has still been smaller. And you also look at where these players are coming from. You don't see many players locally in Seattle that would be, you know, like a, a recruiting base for UW, you know, for, for, for them to be able to, you know, form a program or for Oregon to form a program. So that's part of the reason. I just think that the sport continues to be regionalized. And it's funny, we always used to talk about the West Coast of of college hockey, basically just beyond the Mississippi River. Uh, But we continue to expand westward, you know, Lindenwood in in Missouri, Um, you know, as I mentioned, Augustana, Arizona State has been a a, a huge boon. Um, And now the other the other issue is, is that with that challenge travel is very expensive scholarships are very expensive hockey is a hugely expensive sport it can operate at a profit as it does at several institutions but it is a big risk for those programs to take on but who knows with the way college sports are going bonkers right now maybe we'll see more westward expansion all right let me get a sip of water so i don't cough all over you guys again here as we go into our next question all right. Next question comes from Penguin7. And this is a good one because we've got a wide open field for this question. Who do you like as the top NCAA goalie this coming season? Good question. And I think we'll, we'll, there's a number of answers. You know, I think Victor Osman at the University of Maine was a guy that, that a lot of NHL teams were very interested in as a potential, um, college free agent. I think he's one of the more sought after goalies in the college free agent market um, because the top, a lot of the top collegiate goalies last year were drafted players. Osman was a guy that, that had a lot of interest. He's, he opted to return to Maine. I think partially because he believes that they're going to be more competitive this year and they very well may be, but that I think he's got a chance to be one of the top tier guys. Um, We're going to see once again, uh, Blake Piedela, uh, who has been, um, in the, it feels like he's been in college hockey forever, but that's also because there was an, another Blake Pietala that played at Mich- Michigan Tech. This is a different one. Uh, but Blake, 
you know, he he was one of the top goalies in college hockey last season. I think the end of his season, the numbers went down a little bit, but you know, he was up there with the likes of Yaniv Peretz and 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 uh, Devin Levi in terms of numbers last season. So I do think that those are a couple of the guys. But I'm also going to be looking at the freshmen as well. We're going to be looking at Michael Harabo. We're going to be looking at Trey Augustine. We're going to be looking at Jacob Fowler. You know, I think all of those guys have a chance to be instant impact guys and in the schools that they're playing at. Um, it's often that it'll be a, a more senior player for college hockey. But, I mean, there's going to be a number of, of really good goaltenders in there. You know, Providence will have Phillips Fedeback back as well. Um, you know, a guy that, that ha- is a drafted player. He's young. He's got an opportunity to really have a strong season. They got a good team in front of them. Um, you know, we saw Caden and Barico really burst onto the scene for Colorado College last year. You know, how much of uh, can he, you know, repeat that? And then you know, you've got Justin Close at the University of Minnesota um, as well, uh, who um, I believe will be back for his uh, his fifth year. So you know, having a Justin Close come in um, and and take that next step of of you know, taking a team to a national championship final, um, you know, having him back is going to be huge for Minnesota. And you think, yes, he's back for a fifth season, but he's really only been a starter for one full season. He, he kind of took the reins uh, late in his junior year, and now he's got a chance to have a, you know, a second consecutive full starting season. So Justin Close is another guy that you should be keeping an eye on um, in addition to the other ones that I mentioned. So uh, really excited to see, where things end up with some of these players um, and, and how they ultimately uh, perform. But, you know, there are some really good young goalies in the NCAA. But keep an eye on Osman as well because I, I do think that he is going to continue to be a, uh, a significant um, piece in the, uh, in the college free agency market, uh, especially if he has a good season. All right, moving on. We got another one from Maxwell here, and Maxwell asks, is Artem Levshunov uh, is Artem Levshunov going to struggle a bit transitioning to college hockey? Good question. I think anytime you have a younger defenseman and a guy that wasn't necessarily on the college path to begin with um, come in, you would ultimately have some questions about you know how that would transition. What gives me reason to believe that he should transition quite well is that he made a seamless transition to the USHL. It did not take him long to become one of the best defensemen in that league, despite being, uh, you know, not in his draft season yet. And, you know, ultimately this is a player that had previously been on the path to go to the Canadian hockey league. Um, They barred Russian and Belarusian players from being selected in the import draft. So there was no path for him to get in to the, uh, to the CHL. Goes to the USHL, adjusts to America, figures out how to drive, figures, you know, gets gets going and, and just learns the language. Um, and he manages to, you know, do well enough and, and gets himself into Michigan State University um, through however means. And, and, and he did that all while basically being one of the top defensemen in the USHL last year. Um, and... You look at his ability to produce, you look at his skill level, you look at his mobility, you look at his size, all of those things, you know, physical maturity for him is not going to be a problem like it can be for some freshman defenseman. Um, Awareness is not a problem for him. Mobility is not a problem for him. The pace of the game should not be a problem for him. He's got high-end hockey sense. He's got great tools. So it's possible that he could 
you know, struggle and transition. Maybe, uh, you know, an additional year in the, in the USHL ultimately would have helped him. But that is one player that I'm not concerned about in the transition. I think he will continue to be a top-tier draft prospect based on what he does at Michigan State. All right. This one is uh, kind of college hockey USHL related um, because it, it it allows us to kind of talk about something that the USHL has been doing really well lately. Um, and, of course, you can always watch USHL games on Flow Hockey and really looking forward to getting out to the Fall Classic later this month. <coughs> or, excuse me, in September. So uh, this one comes from Random Task 68. Question for the next pod. Are there other teams at the same recruiting level in the USHL, not the NTDP, as the Chicago Steel, or are they sort of a monolith? Thinking of how Power, Fantilli, Celebrini all went to the Steel. Well, that's a really, uh, you know, it's a really interesting question because I think for a period of time, Chicago definitely had the market cornered on elite players. Their benefit was, you know, I think that you have to give Larry Robbins a lot of credit for the amount of money that he put into that team. You know, they did some things with development. They had Ryan Hardy, who's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs, came in there and and kind of revolutionized how they were doing business as a team and how they were doing hockey operations. And it allowed them to recruit high-level players. It allowed them to identify players. Um, you know, and Hardy did come from the National Team Development Program, was the director of player personnel there. Um, then he went to the Boston Bruins and was a scout there. And then he came back to the Chicago Steel to be their GM, which was an interesting move at the time. You know, you, a lot of those guys want to go to the NHL and stay there. So you got to give Hardy a lot of credit for taking that step back, but to take on a leadership role within an organization. Now, you know, he's allowed, he, he's, he essentially runs the AHL operations for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, I, I think that helped a lot. And then you have to get, the thing is, is that one player, can make a big difference. And Owen Power was probably the difference-making player for the Chicago Steel. When he made the decision, and Owen Power was a player that had basically decided very early on that he always wanted to go to school. So he he made that choice, and it was up to him whether he wanted to stay in Canada um, and, and or, or try something else. And the Chicago Steel offered him an opportunity at a very young age to come into the league and to play as a rookie, to have another an additional season before it was his draft year, and then go into the University of Michigan prepared, and he developed at a at a high level. Um, you know, I think the the Steel invested in you know they had skills coaches and skating coaches, and they they had um, you know kind of started to put more money into the player development side, and that ultimately translated in more players wanting to play there. Um, you know, Owen Power and Adam Fantilli just so happens both of them are also you know CAA clients you, you have that that experience that comes in with you know one once one player does and then they have an advisee who's you know thinking about or, or wants to work with them then they see it and, and you know Adam Fantilli's path all these players paths were a little bit different um Macklin Celebrini was another player that went to Shattuck St. Mary's kind of got the taste of, uh, you know, he played a little bit in uh, in Canada and the U.S. His dad, you know, was working for the Golden State Warriors, and so he was playing youth hockey in San Jose, goes to Shattuck St. Mary's, and then he gets this opportunity. So that's just, and I, I know this is a long preamble that, and not answering the question yet, but I promise I'm going to get there. Um, but this is where things started to change for the USHL, and this is where more teams, when it when teams, you can either complain about it, 
about how they're doing things or how they're getting players or whatever else, or you can try and get better. I think one team that is starting to really do that and one team that has done that is the Youngstown Phantoms. They've been very aggressive on their tenders. They've been very, and, and tenders are when, you know, you sign a player, essentially. One thing that the USHL has done that I think has significantly allowed them to bring in players that are on a on a player development path towards the NHL, I do think that that is, um, you know, they, they having the tender process where the player has a little bit more control. You know, there is a draft, but the USHL allows teams to use tenders to sign players before the draft and essentially use that as their first two draft picks. And in doing that, they put a little bit more power into the player to make a choice. And then they also allow the teams the opportunity to give these players an early, you know, an early feel for the league. They don't have to wait and see who's going to draft them. They're going to have these conversations. They're actually going to get recruited and they're going to play. So this year we're going to have um, we're going to have Zachary Moran and Sasha Boumedien, uh playing for Youngstown, who are both tender signings from last season. And those are guys that have very they're very highly regarded. Um, you know, uh, Moran just committed to Boston University, so a significant add for them in their recruiting class for a couple of years from now. But you know, you look at what Youngstown has done; they put similar focus into development. They have multiple people in multiple positions that have allowed them to, you know, improve in those areas. They've also, you know, now have proof in the pudding of winning this Clark cup last year, their first time ever. Um, and so that helps attract players. And so when you are, are investing in development, when you're investing in coaching, when you're investing in um, making players better and, sh- and now have proof positive, like the Chicago steel did for those number of years. And now that, Youngstown has, you know, and they're not alone. I mean, you think also think back to Andre Svechnikov setting a tender with Muskegon. Um, you know, Fargo has had had some really good success. Uh, Omaha, all these, every team has had, you know, some player that has gone on to have a significant NHL career. Um, not all of them have come through the tender process, and not all tenders work out the, as well as Power Fantilli and Celebrini. Um, but I would say that there are teams that are now. You know, Chicago is probably still the gold standard, but I'm not going to say that there are other teams that can't do what they're doing because I think we're starting to see those teams dig in and try to do it. Um, I also think that the national team development program's presence in the USHL has created that level of competition to get those high-level players. Um, and and it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think players are going to – will they eventually make a decision when it's should I go to the NTDP or should I go to a different USHL team? You know, there are going to be a lot of different – uh, viewpoints of, of what that could be. I think most players will still go to the NTDP, but USHL teams are offering um, a great opportunity. And, and so I have a lot of respect for what they've done with their tender process. All right, we are going to run through some 2024 NHL draft questions and we're going to run through them quick. Um, so let's get to it right now. And this one comes from Dan. He actually asked this last week. He thankfully asked it again so that I could remember. And Dan, what a question. Who has the juice, hashtag juice, to challenge Celebrini for number one. Well, I still think that, you know, Max Celebrini, based on what I've seen and based on what I've seen from the other players, I still do think that he is a, a far and away the number one guy for this year. I, I think he's the most well-rounded player. I think he's got the best hockey sense. He's among the most skilled. Um, you know, the question is going to be ultimately, you know, is anybody going to be able to catch that? I think Cole Iserman is, is a dynamic goal scorer. Um, you know, I don't think he has as many elements in his game as Celebrini. 
Um, the defensemen in this class, which will, we have a question about strength of, of positions. You know, I think there's a number of guys, including Artem Levshunov, who are going to you know create some conversation about how high some of these defensemen should go. But you know, I think a lot of people are are looking very early on at the early stages and seeing what Ivan Demidov has done in KHL preseason, and we're like, oh boy, here we go. Now I've heard and seen a lot of the things about well, maybe is even you know is he better than Mitchkov? He's a different player, I think. You know, I don't think that there's a lot of similarities between the two. I think Demidov is physically stronger. He has a little bit more will, um, you know, to get to the interior and 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 but. I mean, Mitchkov is a genius level hockey player. That's the separating factor for me. And Demidov has great hockey sense, but I don't think he has genius level hockey sense like Mitchkov does. But that is a guy that I really do think is going to make, you know, make us talk throughout the season. Um, And Celebrini, as we mentioned, could start on the shelf injured. And depending on how late his season begins, you know, it allows those guys more time to build cases for themselves in the hype machine. Um, and then we see where it goes from there. But I, you know, I think, you know, at this point, Demidov, Iserman, you know, Berkeley Catton had a really great um Holinka Gretzky Cup. You know, those are players that that are gonna be in that conversation. Um, but it's still early to say. Uh, if we're going based on what we've seen so far in the preseason, you know, you gotta say Demidov is really in the hunt there. All right. Speaking of the 2024 draft and the positions of strength or weakness, uh, 604 Adam asks, what positions look to be strong and weak for the 2024 NHL draft? I know it's early. It is early. We're still sorting through it. I mean, I I would say at this point, I have not yet seen a goaltender of significant uh, repute uh, emerge. Um, You know, I think that there are are certainly – you know, some really top quality forwards, some some really good centers. I think there's probably quite a few guys that, that will factor in more on the wing. Um, I think if you'll notice, just like last season, a number of the top end players are sub six foot forwards. Um, you know, even Celebrini still is about 5'11", might be six foot now. We'll see what he measures in at, at BU. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a player who, you know, I don't think the size really ever matters that much uh, with him. You know, Sidney Crosby, 5'11 in his draft year, you know, it's just, there's, there's plenty of examples of, of players where, you know, sub six foot guys can, can be significant impact players. Um, but I do think that this year, when we look at last year's draft, I didn't love the defense class. We still saw, def, you know, two defensemen go in the top six picks um, with, with Reinbacker and Shimashev. Uh, but this year, I think defensemen are going to be a significant factor you know, we already talked about Artem Levshunov. You look at uh, Sam Dickinson. You look at, um, you know, uh, some of the other players. Aaron Kibiharu, who's, you know, we'll see ultimately where he uh, winds up. You know, I think that those are players that are are all going to be significant factors. Um, and, and Henry Muse is a, a player that I really like a lot that that had a really strong Holinka Gretzky Cup, um, you know, playing, playing for the Ottawa 67s this year. Like, I, I think there's... There's going to be a good run on defensemen early in this draft, and there's going to be a premium put on those players. Um, that's the initial look, but again, let's let the year play out, and we'll we'll go from there. All right, uh, the gargoyle asks for thoughts on Branseg Nygaard and whether he could enter the conversation of the top tier forwards in this draft: Iserman, Demidov, Celebrini, Catton. Good question. Uh, the thing that makes Ny- uh, Branseg Nygaard interesting 
um, is, of course, that he is Norwegian. Um, and so uh, Michael Bransig Nygaard is a Norwegian-born player. He's about six foot one, close to 200 pounds. He is a competitive guy. I mean, he, he plays hard. Um, and he plays strong, and I think that's really good. He got 11 games of professional hockey last year playing for Mora um, in Sweden. So in the Allsvenskan, the second-tier pro division, he had 11 games, had three points. Uh, 38 points in the U20 ranks uh, at 35, 35 games played. He also played um, in the under-18 ranks and completely dominated um, the U18 ranks in Sweden probably comparable to what you see with a lot of the high performance hockey um, and AAA hockey in the United States. So, you know, that's not necessarily a level that we're going to grade significantly on. Um, if you've watched any of the preseason and the clips, and I've only seen clips of preseason games. I have not dug in on, on, on a ton of video on uh, Brent Nygaard yet. Uh, but he is absolutely a guy that we're going to be keeping a very close eye on. I love the way that he competes. I think that he has skill. I think there's a, there's a number of things that as he gets stronger, he's going to be even better at, uh, but he is a, a handful to play against. We'll see how much he plays pro versus how he plays U 20. Uh, the more he plays pro, especially in the all Svenskin, And if he has success there, I think the more likely it is that he can get into that conversation. I don't have enough yet. I don't have enough data yet. Uh, and certainly early, um, to say that I feel like very strongly that he's in the mix with the guys that you mentioned. But based on the little bit that we've seen so far, based on the fact that he did play, you know, in the, the D- Division One AU20s last year and was a point-per-game player there, you know, there's a lot of little factors that we're going to be continuing to watch for him. And then when you see a player, you know, of Norwegian descent, um, non-traditional in terms of top-tier talent, uh, it gets a little exciting, and so we'll have to wait and see. But I, I do think that's a name that we're going to be talking a lot about throughout this draft season. Um, still need to see a lot more before I put him in that that next tier of guys. Uh, and now we've got another question on one of the other European players, and this one comes from Dana. And Dana asks, do you think uh, Tiltelbach, who's playing for the Czechs and Vancouver, uh, is a first-round candidate? So, if you wanted to go off of the Holinka Gretzky Cup, I think a lot of people were really excited about what he did. The issue is with Tiltablock is is that he's not a very big player. Um, you know, he has skill. He had eight points at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, including five goals for a very good Czech team. Um, he was outstanding at last year's Under Seventeen Hockey Challenge as well. He's done all the things that you need to do to stand out. Going to the Vancouver Giants this year, I do think is probably a significantly strong decision for his future, uh, for his draft stock. Playing in North America at and, and playing at the junior level where he should be able to produce, we're going to get to see the full complement of his skill set. Um, we've seen enough players that have played in the Czech Pro Leagues that, you know, especially guys at his size where it's really hard for them to produce. So he comes over here, <coughs> excuse me, and that gives him an opportunity to be a, a, a quality talent um, at the WHL level. So, you know, I, I think that we'll have to kind of wait and see. I think it's a little early to say, yeah, he's for sure a first rounder. I like the player a lot. He's going to be a player that I'm tracking very closely this year. Um, but at his size and certainly, you know, as he makes the transition to North America, uh, there's going to be a lot of things that we need to see from him in order to put him into that first round category decisively. Um, I don't think there are a lot of guys, you know, you look at my early draft rankings from 
previous years. And there is so much change from that to the one at the end of the season. Um, so to answer the question simply, yes, he has a chance to be in that mix. I think the skill level um, and what he's done at high level competitions suggests that whether or not he, you know, he's going to have to show a lot this season. Um, you know, is the skating going to be there? Is the, is the skill good and dynamic enough? And is there a way that he can play this size? I do think he can. Um, it's just going to be up to him to prove that this year playing for Vancouver, but very fascinating to watch that player. And certainly after a strong Polinka Gretzky, you hope for the best for him. All right. Our last question is our by far most serious and alarming question uh, to answer. And it's, I have to tread carefully here because as you guys probably know, I live in the great state of Iowa, originally from Illinois, but I live in the great state of Iowa. And if there's one thing that Iowans are very passionate about, it's this next question from Ryan Kennedy. And Ryan, of course, of the Hockey News, uh, one of the great guys in the game and certainly a, a guy I enjoy speaking with. And so I will speak candidly on this topic for you, Ryan. Iowa breakfast pizza, worth it? Oh, Ryan, worth it. I mean, yes, simply. Let's put that, let's get that right out of the way. Um how many of you guys know about breakfast pizza? And I'm asking that rhetorically because it's just me speaking to a camera and microphone right now, and I can't hear any response. But if you've never tried it, um, come on through Iowa. You stop at a Casey's General Store. Or you stop at a, you know, a local place that, that has breakfast pizza, um, and, and you get the breakfast pizza. You get, you get eggs on it. You get your cheese. You get your cheese sauce on there. And then I would say, you know, I'm probably a bacon guy over a sausage. I like them both, but I think bacon, a little bit of different flavor. I think sausage gets a little bit too much like regular pizza. We got the egg on it. I mean, you got the crust. You got it. It's, it is, it is probably, it's also very easy. It's portable. You can eat it in the car if you want to. You know, it's, it's nice and warm. They sell it by the slice. I mean, quite frankly, I, I, I mean, yes, it's worth it. I probably could have just said that and be done with it, but this is something that I think people really need to understand. Breakfast pizza, I don't care who you are, um, you love pizza already. Well, do you also like breakfast? Yeah, okay, you combine those two loves and you have magic. That's that's all I have to say about that. Thank you for your question, Ryan, um, and uh, definitely try a breakfast pizza. I may try one tomorrow after I drop the kids off at school. Now you put that thought in my head. Been trying to eat healthier. It's not going well. Um, but anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. Really appreciate you all joining me. It has been a lot of fun. We are not going to be back next week, but we will be back after that. We'll start uh, going into more of the preseason of junior hockey. We'll talk a little bit more about the other things that you'll be able to find on Flow Hockey this year. And certainly we'll talk more college hockey in 2024 NHL Draft. As a reminder, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast and your audio apps of choice. Watch us on YouTube. Watch us on flowhockey.tv. Leave a kind rating and review on your app of choice as well. Uh, help us get the word out about this, uh, this podcast as we continue to evolve and grow as our hockey offerings grow here over at Flow Hockey. And once again, if you haven't yet, make sure you are signed up for a Flow Hockey subscription because this year you are going to have more than you could ever want from a hockey offering uh, and really can't wait to bring that to you this season. So a lot of fun things ahead. We will take a break next week, but we'll see you the week after that right here on Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.